what I'm really trying to measure with insight velocity is whether or not they are running experimentation in a way that produces data and insight. Welcome to the Innovation Metrics Podcast, where we geek about innovation management. We bring you insights on how to measure innovation, innovation accounting, and managing the uncertain process of developing new, sustainable, and profitable business models. In today's episode, we are exploring how innovation teams should be measured. You can find links to important topics covered in this episode and information about the guests and hosts in the show notes, or go to our blog on innovationmetrics.co. I'm very excited to welcome Tristan Cromer on the show today. As an innovation coach and founder of Chromatic, Tristan works with innovation teams and leaders to create amazing products and build startup ecosystems. He has worked with companies from early stage startups with zero revenue to enterprise companies with more than a billion dollars revenue like Unilever, Salesforce, LinkedIn, and the list goes on. Tristan worked with more than 30 technology accelerators and ecosystem programs around the world. I recommend you all to check out his website, chromatic.com, for one of the best innovation blogs and other resources. Hope you find this episode to be fun and insightful. Hi, Tristan. Great to have you here. Great to be here, Ilya. Today, we're talking about how we better measure teams in an innovation context, innovation teams, specifically in large organizations. And to kick it off, I would like to ask you, why do we even need any different form of measurement? for an innovation team? It's a pretty interesting kind of way to approach things because I guess the, the question we need to answer first then is how are we measuring teams right now? Yes. Right. Right. So, so what is an innovation team versus, I guess, a normal product team? How are they measured right now? Yeah, that would be good. Let's dig into that. Right. So I guess uh, what I see most often is that both innovation teams and normal teams are often just measured by, I guess, what Amazon would call an output metric. You know, how much revenue do you have? How many users do you have? Uh, what you or I might call the lagging indicator, right? The thing that's that's <laughs> has a lot of different variables going into it, uh, but only one kind of important thing that the company really cares about coming out, which is the number of dollars and the number of users, or uh, if it's an you know, nonprofit or, or, or other agency, it might be mission impact, the number of lives saved, the number of, you know, cigarettes ripped from the mouths of children and that sort of thing. Like, th these are the sort of indicators that I think are, they're not irrelevant. They're absolutely relevant, but they're very hard to control for. And they're not exactly what's the most useful thing to measure for teams, right? They're, they're not something that the team can Teams in general impact. or for innovation teams? Were we talking about I teams think, in general? I, I think for both. Um, hmm. I, I do think there is a, dis, a heavy distinction between um, teams in general and innovation teams. But if you just look at teams in general, you know, for a media site or a media business, um, A, a lagging indicator might be the number of eyeballs that hit a podcast. Uh, we were actually talking before we started recording about yoga for Adrian, right? Right. She has nine point, however many million uh, subscribers, which seems really awesome. And each one of those videos has a lot of views to it, uh, which seems very good. But 
that's something that is controlled by, uh, you know, there are a lot of variables that go into it. There's, there's the topic, there's the user, there's when you post, there's uh, how long it is. There, there's a lot of different variables that go into how successful an individual post would be. But a media company might judge its writers or content producers, say, on the volume or the velocity of things that they're publishing, right? Like that might be a better metric uh, because that might tell you at least like, well, we're, we're posting a lot of stuff. Or they might say something along the lines of, well, I want the, the highest ratio of views per post, right? I, I don't necessarily just want a lot of posts. I want the highest quality posts possible. You know, different media groups might have different approaches. They might have, you know, a long tail media group might just care about velocity, uh, not necessarily the, the number of views per post. Uh, but these are the sort of input metrics that the content producer in this case can control directly, right? I can either just publish more frequently or I can really focus on understanding my customer audience and post the exact right post to get the highest engagement and the highest number of eyeballs because I'm focusing really high on quality, not quantity. Like that's an example of an input metric or what Amazon would call an input metric or we might call just a leading indicator of success. Something that is highly correlated to the lagging indicator, meaning the more posts we put up, the more eyeballs we put up. The higher quality of posts we put up, uh, the, the more eyeballs. Right? So it's something that we can control right now that we hope will lead to the thing that the company cares about later. Number of eyeballs, dollar signs, live saved. So the thing that a team can control. Yeah, I think that's very important in, in any sort of measurement. And it is something that I think is lacking in a lot of companies and even more so on innovation teams to your kind of original point, right? But it's the same issue. It's just a different type of metric that the innovation team needs to deal with because they don't necessarily know what the good leading indicator that will eventually lead right. to revenue is because right. it's an unknown, right? So when they don't know the causality, um, picking something randomly is probably not going to be helpful. Right. Yeah. Um, so we have the things they can control and then like in traditional teams and then obviously we're measuring in the first place so we can make decisions. We're not just measuring for for the sake of measuring, I hope. <laughs> oh, that's what we're yeah. talking about. That's what we're talking about here, at least today. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, we're not talking about data mining, right? Where we just measure everything and hope to find something later. That's not very feasible for most innovation teams, at least. Yeah, but yeah, or develop I, I think dashboards. Is a big factor. Yeah, yes, or develop yes, random exactly. dashboards to please somebody, you know, in whatever position. So, um, yeah, so we want to um, impact behavior and come to a fair judgment of somebody, um, fairer judgment of somebody did the job well or not, I suppose. Yeah, like we want to give a measure to teams, whether they're innovation teams or anyone really, that that most directly correlates to things that they can control um, and things that they can control that will hopefully be correlated with the good outcome. So, You know, if somebody has a bad race day, who's uh, running a marathon and, you know, their kids woke them up at five o'clock in the morning and three o'clock in the morning and seven o'clock in the morning and 423 in the morning, you know, they might just have a bad day. But um, yes, we could judge them on the outcome of that race. 
But more realistically, could we uh, try and judge their performance and give them encouragement based on the amount of times they're going to practice their regular average pace through uh, through whatever their 5K training sessions? I'm obviously not a runner, so I don't know what all the leading indicators would be, but I would want to try and set up the metrics for performance based on their practice, not just the outcome of the race. Right. right? Although. Cool. We, we, we know that their endorsement dollars uh, are depend on them winning the race, unfortunately. So, Yeah. Maybe not when they're just starting out the training, though, right? Maybe not when they're... Like, there's this analogy of measuring... You can't... Isn't there this... Uh, who put it out? This analogy between... Uh, when we start measuring... Oh, that was that was more product related. Yeah, when you when you when you think about um, trying to measure product, like when you measure Hussein Bolt, or when you when you measure somebody who just starts out running against the metric of Hussein Bolt, did you remember that that <laughs> analogy? Was that Tendai or somebody well, I, who spoke about it? I I don't, but obviously it's a very clear uh, metaphor. But uh -huh. at least you're you're, uh, or rather an analogy. But at least it's a very clear comparison in that case, right? I think the metaphor that's probably the most appropriate for innovation teams is you don't want to judge a two-year-old by their SAT scores. There you go. Um, right, because, you know, when somebody's just starting out running and you want to compare them to the speed of Hussein Bolt, it's, it's, it's not realistic that they're going to beat that benchmark, but it's at least the same measurement that you would measure all runners from, right? Because... It is just a question of how fast you go across the finish line. But, you know, a child's SAT scores is not going to tell you anything about their intellectual development at two years old. Their SAT scores are going to be zero, right? just flat out zero. Um, so maybe in that case, the analogy to a marathon would be if I was starting to run today and you checked out my time to run a marathon, it would be infinite because I cannot run a marathon. I probably couldn't run three blocks. Maybe if there were zombies chasing me, I could maybe like get to four or five blocks before running out of breath. But um, I'm never going to run a marathon right now, right? But so, so what's something that's in my control that is an interim step to that could be just getting out every day and running, right? Can I start practicing? Now, If I start practicing, that won't guarantee that I'll be able to run a marathon, let alone win a marathon, but I will never be able to run a marathon unless I start practicing it and unless I start running every day. And so that is going to be a good nice. first step to, uh, to doing anything in, in that domain of running. And I think the same applies to innovation. You know, um, I cannot guarantee that any innovation team will win. Right. There's, there's no way. Um, I can't predict which ones will win and which ones will not. I mean, I sat next to Instagram and I thought they had a terrible idea. I sat next yeah. to them in Dog Patch Labs and I just I was utterly disinterested in their idea because I'm utterly disinterested in photographs. But what I can kind of tell is that teams that experiment and uh, release product very, very quickly 
seem to have a much better chance. And there is some data that's coming out of Harvard that's starting to back that up. I, I think, uh, I'm not sure who, but I think Tom Eisenberg just released uh, a bunch of data that was saying something along those lines. Great. We should post that along with the podcast if we can find it. Fantastic. Absolutely. Right. Like, so, yeah. so that sort of data is finally coming out like wow. 10 years after uh, the Lean Startup was released. Um, and it's kind of what we expect, right? Because the more times you release and the faster you release product mm. iterations is the faster you're going to learn. And that mm. makes you much more likely to have a success when mm. you can test things, learn from the data and release the new improved version. And so, I guess there's another fundamental aspect to, again, what what is their fault? What could be seen as a mistake from a team and not like setting strategy you know, saying we only have AI-powered, uh, in <laughs> blockchain-enabled, uh, I don't know, uh, what is it? Uh, well, it's, yeah. bike, yes, I think I motorbikes or whatever it is right now, you know, and then it's not really, you know, they, and they're testing basically that strategy in a sense with what they're doing, and that is really not, has nothing well, to do yeah. with them. Well, well, strategy, I think, is testable and it is measurable in some ways, but it, it's kind of similar in that you have to test it and measure it in different ways. You have to isolate the variables if you're going to understand what's going on. Right? Strategy is so complex and can be impacted uh, by so many things, you know, like we were saying, uh, um, People can't execute. The weather turns bad. And so you have a tough time running your marathon. You got the wrong shoes that day. Uh, you know, you just put your foot in the pothole, whatever the case may be. Like there are a lot of different things that go wrong uh, and that are simply beyond your control. So you have to try and isolate them if you really want to measure something like, do we have the right strategy? Uh, but I know that a team but that if doesn't we have it or not, on the strategy doesn't do anything. <laughs> right. Yeah. But like fundamentally, it's not the team's, the team's issue at all, potentially, like at all. You know, to say we're, we're the company said run in this direction, and that was just not the direction to run in. Right? Oh, yeah. Like that, if it's that's, uncontrollable. That was, I was trying to make that point more, you know, and then. Yes, got it. Yeah. yeah. If the strategy is out of their control, then that would be unfair to measure them against. Yeah. But that's probably uh, our primer for the, maybe that should be the next topic measuring strategy rather than, than anything else. That's probably super juicy. Sure. I mean, that's a, that's definitely a hard one. Um, I, I have had thoughts on it and I think there are things you can measure that are kind of leading indicators, but it is a hard one. Yeah. Okay, great. So we have established that the, the problem sphere quite a bit and let's dive into what we can do now. So how can we more effectively measure and more fairly as well so what would be and there are i guess there are different different aspects so for their behavior as well as for the product maybe let's start with the with the behavior first so what would be a good measure of a team on that in that sense yeah I think what you're talking about is kind of separating the measurement of the product from the measurement of the team or the performance of the team, which I think That's is right, a very, yeah. very smart point, right? Uh, because the team, innovation team, at least, if we're, we're talking about innovation, could perform very well, but as you said, be going in the wrong direction, right? Like the yeah. wrong strategy or just things don't work. You know, something random happened and, and things don't work. There was too much competition. 
the trend went the other way. There was a global pandemic, you know, something happened that prevented the team from, uh, pardon me, prevented the project from succeeding, even though the team did everything right. Yeah. So uh, I think you and I are probably both on the same page in that we like to first measure just uh, the experimental velocity. Like, is that team learning something, putting something out there every week? And then, of course, the insight velocity, are they learning something every week from what they put out there, whether it's an interview or a a product of some type that gets into the hands of the customer and generates some sort of data as to whether or not the customer has a problem, likes the solution, or anything like that, anything that will tell you if, if there is some semblance of product market fit there. Right. So we have experimentation velocity <clears throat> and we have inside velocity, right? And I think those those yes. terms, they fly around and I would love to dig in here uh, a bit into them. May, first of all, how, how many organizations do you know that use those measures? Like, is there a fair amount? Is it growing? Is it growing at a certain rate? Um, <laughs> that's a very good question. I honestly, I couldn't <laughs> tell you uh, I know that everybody I worked with used those measures because I, because I count them. <laughs> uh, when I work with the teams, I will count them. Um, I know that some organizations that I've worked with have tried to establish those metrics at scale so that they can mm-hmm. measure um, teams across regions and see if the teams in mm-hmm. Europe are performing better or worse than the mm-hmm. teams in Latin America. Um Uh, that is a challenge. I think it is, um, it's not one of those things that makes a huge amount of sense to put too much effort in, but it's a good kind of traffic light measurement. I think, um, it doesn't make a lot of sense to, you know, measure that this team ran eight experiments and this other team ran four experiments. Therefore the team that ran eight experiments is somehow better than the team that ran four because you start getting into these very silly detailed arguments about, well, my four experiments were more important and yes. like had was quantitative instead of qualitative data. And you know, yes. the data that we generated was much better. So then you start arguing about like the story ports, story points or the insight points that have yeah. been generated there. And, and then it just kind of becomes too gamified. Right. But in terms of a traffic light system, uh, I know that a team not running any experiments, uh, zero experiments each week, uh, red light, you know, maybe one experiment per week or two experiments a month, that's probably a yellow light. And uh, one experiment per week, oh, that's great. Green light, team's doing well. One or more, that's a green light for me. And yeah, the I same think you thing wrote, across the region. Yeah, I think you wrote once that um, it doesn't, if they run in one experiment a week, it doesn't necessarily that they learn. It doesn't necessarily mean that's not what you wrote, but I might may add that it doesn't necessarily mean that they're learning the right thing at the right time. No, yeah. But absolutely. if they, but if they don't, we definitely know something's wrong, right? So, yes, exactly. at least in most in most industries or most fields. So that's interesting. But um, can we not potentially compare at some point? Or is there not value in the information if two teams run the same type of experiment and one is generating or doing it cheaper, for example? Oh, sure, yeah. 
So then we have um, suddenly like interesting insights that can, so where we do continuous improvement in a sense on the way we learn and push efficiency. I mean, this might, I don't know how much future, that's really what I'm wondering here. And you're probably one of the best people in the world to ask right now, you know, given that you have worked with a lot of teams and um, I don't know how utopian that kind of thinking is. I find it very, very exciting to, to, to imagine a world where that exists <laughs> yeah. and not again, not to yeah. punish a team, not to say like, you know, Hey, you're, you're paying twice as much here for customer insights or whatever, but you know, to say, we can internally, we can do better. We can train each other. We can help each other and, um, you know, to, to push this to the next level. So the I, quest, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I do think that would be great. That would be like the dream dashboard. If I could see exactly right. how many dollars that, uh, right. each user interview costs and how much each insight from that user interview costs. I, I just, I'm too much of a pragmatist. I, I think that, you know, on the, if I use a very rough scale, I know that if a team is outsourcing their user research and their customer insights to some sort of uh, marketing agency or research agency, and they're paying $50,000 and that research agency is going out and interviewing five people, that seems like too much. Right? <laughs> like that's way too much. Not for the research I, agency. Not for the research agency. It's a good business to be in. But uh, on, on the other hand, I'm not going to quibble between one team that spent $25 a person for a Starbucks card for their interviews and another that paid a $100 gift certificate to Best Buy. Like it, it's not worth analyzing at that level of detail. Mm. Um, so I, I am concerned you know, I, I sit on a, a number of growth boards and uh, so growth board is uh, for listeners that may not be familiar with the term is, is just like an investor board. It's a group of people that allocate funding to different uh, innovation projects. So if an innovation team comes to that growth board and says, we want $50,000 to run some customer interviews, then yes, that will raise some red flags in my hand head. And I'll, I'll certainly ask, why is it going to cost that much to go talk to five people? Uh, I know it's a pandemic and all, but could you could you not go out on the street with a mask on and try and talk to people? Uh, um, but anyway, you know, it, it, it's not worth measuring at too fine a level of detail because especially with innovation projects, no two are alike. And even two A-B tests on a website are going to be a little bit different. Um, so yeah. if the cost varies a little bit, you know, screw it. Okay. Let's see. So we have, let's take a step back. So we have experimentation velocity, we have insight velocity. Those two are different. I think we should we should go into that. But uh, do you want to say something? Do you ever split experimentation and learning velocity? You see, um, uh, sorry that that is that is what you referred to earlier when somebody has a bad day because they don't sleep because of children. Then I put that yeah. into <laughs> that's me right now. <laughs> and I might have to cut that out right now. <laughs> Elia's tired. I am tired. So, um, experimentation and research. Having, having a bad kid day. I'm having a bad kid day. I need to do some yoga with Adrian. So, That's good. Yeah, some yoga with Adrian. <laughs> One more view for Adrian. One more view for Adrian. Big shout out to our sponsor, Yoga with Adrian. No. Yeah. 
That'd be good. Innovation yoga with Adrian. We That's will it. be generating new poses, uh, new poses on the fly. Wow, we should, we should, this you know, is, we should, we could run some pose. experiments with her, right? Like, yeah, absolutely. No. Okay. Um, we, we, we talk about, or you, I think you were the first one I made that really nicely clear for me, at least ever, um, the difference between, um, an experiment and research. Uh, I mm. think you, you, you use it as in your daily practice. I think you refer to everything as an experiment, even though you are clear, not there's a difference. Um, maybe we should, maybe we should talk about that. Or do you want to quickly explain the, the difference and when we when we use it how we use sure it. I, I mean colloquially uh we often say experiment and we include things like customer discovery under right. that bucket and say you know customer discovery or talking to customers uh and doing interviews or rather listening to customers with interviews uh we might call it an experiment but um it's not a very precise definition it's not so important to get the terms right But it is important to acknowledge that there is a distinction between uh, what we would call generative research and an evaluative experiment. And the main difference is that in an evaluative experiment, you are attempting to evaluate whether a hypothesis is true or false, meaning uh, the buzzwords there would be validate or invalidate uh, uh, something, right? So I believe that uh, a green call to action on our landing page will be more effective than a blue button. Therefore, I, I have a prediction. Uh, my prediction is that our conversion rate will increase by 10%. I'm going to launch that, that landing page uh, with an A-B test, and I'm going to see if my prediction is true or false. If yeah. it's false, my hypothesis will be invalidated. Like That's an experiment, right? One where you kind of get this yes or no answer at the end, which tells you if you're right or if you're wrong. Uh, hopefully one of those two. Sometimes it just tells you that you don't have enough data. But uh, that's the idea. That's the goal is to tell you true or false. Whereas generative research, there is no such goal. Um, your goal is literally to generate ideas uh, or to generate one clear idea or one clear hypothesis that you can then go and test. So when we go and interview customers uh, in the sense of generative research and customer discovery, we're really just going out and trying to listen to them. And hopefully we're going to come away with five new ideas about who our customers are, what their pain points might be, um, what type of marketing channels they, they frequent, what magazines they read, what television channels they watch, what YouTube channels they watch, yoga with Adrian, of course. Um, so we're all, we're, we're just looking for new ideas or we're looking to narrow our idea down to one thing specifically that we can then go and test. Now, in generative research, it does sometimes happen that you had an assumption there and you You know, you, you thought that uh, out of 20 people in uh, Silicon Valley, uh, at least 10 of them would know who uh, Adrian was and what her yoga show is all about. But you speak to 20 of them and zero people know that. Uh, I had still have no idea who that really is, but um, I'm just going to assume she's we fixed famous. that. We fixed that after we'll, we fixed we'll that fix after that the podcast. Right after this, I'm going to do some yoga <laughs> with Adrian. But 
if you did interview 20 people from Silicon Valley and your hypothesis was that everybody knows who Yoga with Adrian is, like all you have to do is talk to one person like me to realize that that cannot possibly be true, right? right. There is at least one person who has not heard of uh, Adrian's yoga classes. Right. So you might accidentally invalidate something with generative research, but uh, the purpose is to generate ideas, not invalidate them. Even if I have an assumption that I'm going to put this survey out in, let's say, Siberia in December, and I fully expect that the most annoying thing is going to be the utter bitter freezing cold, um, it's still generative research, right? Because I might get a few answers that say something like, well, the potholes okay. in the road, right? Um, okay. It's still open-ended. There's still this possibility that I might generate okay. some, some answers, even with a okay. strong assumption. But if you change the question and make it a close-ended question or something that's highly structured to elicit these types of responses and say, uh, are you concerned about the weather? Um, yes or no. And I set a, uh, what I would call a fail condition, or some people might call a success condition or a benchmark. Uh, yeah. I want 70% of people to say yes, in order for me to believe that the general population has uh, an issue with the weather, and therefore we should work on innovative weather control devices, or yeah. perhaps just umbrellas, which are the MVP of a weather control device, right? Um, like that is an evaluative experiment. Okay, cool. So thank you. So since we have that a bit clearer, when you then measure, right? That's the annoying theme and topic of the show mm -hmm. for those yeah. who haven't realized. Not you, not you. If you haven't gotten that, you're in trouble. <laughs> so do you differentiate there? Do you, do you at some point go, oh, all they do is, not all they do, but most of the activity this team does, and no matter where they at is, they go out and they talk and they talk again and mm. they don't run qualitative. Is there something, is there value? That's really the question from your perspective, at least. Is there value in that insight? Should that be measured? That's interesting. I, I hadn't honestly thought to do that in a deliberate fashion. Uh, I think that could be in, an interesting question at scale. Um, and I can kind of tell you what my sort of anecdotal assumptions would be there in that, you know, if a team is still running customer interviews after three months, something is wrong, right? Like something's very wrong <laughs> at that point. Um, Or actually, let me rephrase. I would like them to still be running customer interviews after three months. Yeah. But if they're only running customer interviews and they're not yeah. building anything at that point or they haven't you know, tried to run a concierge test or do a solution interview or do a paper prototype or anything like that, or even just do a landing page test, if they haven't run any evaluative experiments or, or solution generative uh, mm. Uh, mm. research at that point, yeah, then that's mm. a big problem. Mm. Um, I haven't thought to measure it that way, but honestly, it's never come up. Uh, it would be a good research pro project for, I don't know if any academics are listening, but that would be a very interesting research project data that I'd be interested in. I, but uh, of course, I only see the projects that, that I see and those projects that I see, I am, I am kicking in the butt to move as fast as possible and to not just run interviews, but actually uh, Uh, validate the demand uh, with some sort of value proposition test pretty quickly. So, 
No, this is great because, I mean, not just if the ratio changes, but do they remain, do they continue running interviews? You know, that is, that might be even more important when I think about it. That's not what I thought about, right? That might mm. be, that might be even a more important insight together, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, it gets a little screwy at some point of scale, right? Because at some point, if the team is becoming 20 people, 30 people, then of course we might not expect everybody in the team yeah. to be running interviews every single week. But yeah, we would how hope many? that a good team is kind of rotating people on and off the customer support line and, and generally engaging customers frequently. Yeah, nice. Now that you've mentioned that, though, I would be really interested in data to see if teams that use a greater variety of experiment types are in general more successful. Um, and my, my, my hypothesis here would be yes, absolutely. Because a team that is just running AB tests, right. Uh, and is just, you know, coming up with an idea, putting up a landing page, coming up with an idea, putting up a landing page is going to be far less successful than a team that does customer interviews, generates a landing page based on those customer interviews. And then, runs that A-B test, then runs a concierge test, then runs a Wizard of Oz test. Uh, generally, that's what uh, that's, I advocate that. I think you advocate that. I'm pretty sure David Bland uh, advocates that as well. I, most everybody I know goes that route. Mm. Uh, and I'm very, very resistant to teams that you know have a preferred method of only running surveys mm. and they just want to run surveys. That's not a team I want to bet on. Uh, mm. So I'd be very interested in that data. Again, fingers crossed that some academic with a lot of funding is listening to this. Please run that research report. <laughs> Second. <laughs> okay, great. Nice. So I wanted to go into experimentation inside velocity because that can get tricky. And we see, I want to see if we can, we can assist people, but in order to measure this whole thing, maybe let's quickly mention that it needs to be recorded, right? So report cards. So when you think about just going into that, the difference between the experiment, maybe if you just record the type of experiment or the type of research you're doing, then you have uh -huh. the data, you probably don't need to split it in a report card. If Is, is this an experiment or is this a, a research piece? That That should be sufficient, right? Yeah, I mean, if you had the experiment card a4 or whatever you want to call it um and you had the data on that card and you could parse it up and and, and slice and dice it then you would be able to to tell yeah. all that very very quickly and, and that in yeah. fact is what uh i've done with innovation programs that are scaling up is, is just to look at the data uh, very roughly and, and see what's going on like um, without doing any hugely sophisticated uh data analysis i'll look and, and see what type of experiment is happening yeah Uh, even if it's not written down, you know, I will pull up the mural board where uh, or a digital whiteboard where teams are working and just look each week to see, are they doing retrospectives? It's um, mm. an, another, I think, very important measure of an innovation team or any team for that matter is, uh, do they do a retrospective once a week? That's a very good thing. Um If I can see that on their boards, I'll, uh, I, I won't necessarily go through and, and again, like write everything down and, and count everything up, but uh, it is something I'll check where if I see a warning sign from a team, like they are not running experiments uh, once a week, 
they're not generating insights. Or I just hear through the grapevine that there's some people that are concerned about that team. I will look on their digital whiteboard. I'll, I'll look in their experiment reports. I'll see, are there experiment reports? Is there a digital whiteboard? Uh, how many experiments are they running? Are they running retrospectives? Are there any lessons learned? Uh, the worst thing for me is finding an experiment card and seeing that there are actually no results written down on the experiment card. Uh, that's that's a bad sign to me because even if they actually ran the experiment, it means the data is sitting in somebody's head, is not accessible, is not being shared. And if that person gets hit by a bus, uh, the team has a problem. So, so yeah, the, these are all kind of warning signs that I can use. As yeah, a coach or more likely or leaves the company, right? And I guess that's or that's more likely the massive, leaves the company. Massive <laughs> yes, was, and is now it was for dramatic effect. You. It was very well done, but I'm just saying. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, no, right? like that's, you know, that's that, the that more is... common thing is they they walked out of the building with all those insights, and suddenly they're competing against the parent company. Right, and like, okay, we we don't know if the team will make will return uh, monetary value to the company, but they should at least, what their primary purpose is, is to uh, ascertain knowledge, right? Like to bring back insights. And so you kind of, the, you know, it belongs to the company in a sense, right? And so you, you do want to give it to the company or to the, to the entity. And uh, that seems to be the most plausible vehicle, you know, to write it down in, in the report card, right? Yeah. I think so. Unfortunately, the I haven't seen any really great tools um, that would allow the sort of data that you described in your utopia. Um, there aren't great tools for recording experiments on a regular basis. There are some tools like Glider and uh, I use Trello yeah. in my team. And I, I've hacked together some systems in Google Drive for some other people. Uh, but none of these tools are really ideal. They don't make for really good knowledge bases. Um, that's a whole whole other can of worms for innovation teams is that they're just not very good at saving their insights and sharing them. And, and the tools that are supposed to be well-designed for this just aren't very good. Teams hate them. They feel like they're forced to use them. Uh, I haven't seen anything great. Have, actually, have you? Have you seen anything like really no, wonderful that teams no, love? No, no, that, that's the reason for the podcast. I just wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, no, really, so no. I find, it, I find it utterly. Out there. I find it utterly that would be useful. Yeah, no, I find it utterly frustrating, and you know, I, I know, and I allow myself to to dream a little bit, you know, and I know it's not it's nothing that's going to be implemented at scale today, but. I think we should be allowed to dream about that at times. And um, yeah, so you use mainly, I think this is very, very interesting. So you you use and you recommend basically to use still Trello in combination with Google Drive or something like that. Is that still your... your uh, yeah, yine. Um, it's like yes, yes and no. Yeah. Like Trello... <laughs> That's a, a secret German word for those of you who don't speak German. Um, the I don't necessarily recommend any tool. I try and use the tool mm -hmm. that, that already exists in whatever company I'm dealing with. So if they're using Microsoft Teams and they want to use a Word doc, we'll use a Word doc. If they're going to use a Google Drive, let's use Google Drive. Uh, right. I, I don't want to... 
I've, I've got enough on my hands. If I'm trying to get a team to run faster and run experiments, that's plenty of behavior change, right? So right. I don't want to tack on learning a new tool. I'd rather right. just use something that, that people are comfortable with. Uh, Trello is pretty easy to use. So if teams aren't using anything, you know, Trello is a pretty good one. Uh, I do think Google Docs uh, is in general very good, but, you know, Trello is, is very poorly searchable for this sort of thing. Like you have to spend a lot of time categorizing, you know, into different columns and different boards, mm. how your insights go and, mm. and tagging them in some way. Mm. So it's, it's kind of a pain. Google Drive is a little bit better uh, just because it, it is Google. So they usually have very good keyword search. But uh, at scale, none of these tools work very well, frankly. Yeah, or you use like a PDF PDF report card and attach it to the Trello to the Trello card. That's well, the first the first step. Or what do you do? No, no. So if you if you're doing something like a PDF or a Word doc, having it in some sort of uh, putting in some sort of tool that's going to allow it to be keyword searchable is pretty key. That's why Google Drive works decently. And because Google Drive, I can shove a PowerPoint into a file. And if I want to write my experiments down in PowerPoint, that's fine. If you want to do them in PDF, that's fine. If you want to do them in Google Docs, that's fine. It's all searchable because Google is indexing every single word. Uh, of course, I need to train my teams to use the same words. <laughs> that's the biggest problem. right? Because if I have a team in Buenos Aires and a team in Beijing yeah. that nice. are targeting the same persona, um, I need them to call the persona uh, or the customer archetype. I need them to call that, uh, you know, Sam the shopper or uh, Samantha the shopper, whatever the case may be, uh, so that when somebody is looking for insights about Samantha, they're going to find them. Or they're going to find both the insights from Beijing and the insights from Buenos Aires if there is a persona that crosses those two geographic regions. So. That's that's the difficulty is basically it's the human part, getting everybody to speak the same language. Mm. Great. I think that was fantastic. Just had a noise in the background. I think that's fine. Yeah, great. Fantastic. Um, so coming back to experimentation, maybe two things. We're running, we're speaking for quite a while now, mm -hmm. which I enjoy, but... Coming back to experimentation versus inside velocity, do you want to speak to that? Because you know you run one experiment, but you might have three insights and so on. Um, I think I think it's a confusing topic. Um, can you speak to that? And can you speak to how to how to how to record an insight? How do you say this was inside one insight? How was this two insights? Uh, okay, so we'll I start think it's measuring important. that. Yeah, uh, I think it's very important to acknowledge that both in terms of experiment velocity and insight velocity, uh, I really count it as one or more, right? I am not counting the actual number of experiments. I am not counting the actual number of insights because I don't care. Right? Because the insight of we have achieved product market fit is clearly weightier than the insight of I ran this comprehension test and... 80% of people uh, seem to understand my value proposition. Right. Right. Obviously, the insight of 80% of people have purchased my value proposition or purchased my widget, that's clearly more valuable than just running a comprehension test and knowing that people understand it. Um, but again, you get into this really uh, yep. 
you just get diminishing returns in terms of the value of this information. You know, yeah. as long as the team is learning something, I don't want to sit around trying to judge which insight is more valuable or which one is worth five points and which one is worth four points. It's not worth the time. I'd rather focus on just getting the team to run as fast as possible. If they do that, um, then I worry about, uh, you know, trying to get them to go in the right direction. Um, I'm not so, equivalent about which insight is more valuable. So is that my brain or did I hear that you're not differentiating really between experimentation and insight velocity? Because oh, no, every experiment, I am. Yeah. So how do you count? I am, just in terms of how you measure them, right? Oh, just or, or one or more. Sort of what level of fidelity, one or more experiments per week and one or more uh, insights per experiment, I'm happy. Okay. What I'm really trying to measure with insight velocity is whether or not they are running experimentation in a way that produces data and insights. Okay. Like, okay. That's it. It's it's really just, uh, you know, at scale, what I'm measuring is the percentage of experiments that generate an insight. And okay. I would like that number to be as close to 100% as possible. Uh, and just to be clear, I'm, I'm using experiment in the broad sense of generative or evaluative, yeah. but... Um, if they run something and they don't learn anything, it means the experiment has failed somehow, like not failed yeah. as in you've invalidated the, the hypothesis, mm. ugh, hypothesis mm. but you have failed to validate or invalidate. Right? It means you ran mm. the experiment and the <clears throat> results were inconclusive. Right? So that's what we want to avoid when we run experiments. And so the general premise here is that uh, you must run experiments of some type in order to generate data, right? And you're not gonna generate any insights sitting around thinking about it super, super hard. Uh, you're gonna generate a lot of ideas maybe, but you're not gonna generate any insights. And insight is something that uh, is, is valid information that has data backing it up in, in some sense. And uh, you and I, and I think a lot of other people, hopefully most of the people listening to this, uh, believe that the more insights you have, the more likely you are to achieve product market fit and eventually get the impact or revenue that you're looking for. That it is a prerequisite that the odds of you succeeding without any insights to begin with are very poor. You might just take a stab in the dark and say, I'm not going to do any research. I'm just going to build this giant thing and throw it out there. Uh, but at the end of the day, you're going to get at least one insight, which is, did anybody purchase it or not? And, and then you'll then you'll know. So we believe that more insights increases your likelihood of succeeding. Um, therefore, the thing that generates insights is experiments or research. Therefore, we want to run experiments and research every week. And uh, then we can kind of go up the chain from there. So run experiments, the highest percentage of uh, uh, experiments possible should generate insights and hopefully those insights will lead to a product or service that succeeds thank you for clearing that up when when uh, that's another interesting one i think there's this concept out there that you want the, so this could be another another kpi for the team itself like that you actually want them to fail certain a certain amount mm, of experiments yeah. so the yeah. idea behind that is that if they don't fail at least 
X amount, not they, if the experiment fails, not a certain amount of times, then they're not pushing themselves, at least the knowledge that they have currently. And therefore they're not, uh, we can assume that if every experiment works out, let's say, right, everything is, uh, so to say, validated, um, then, then we would assume that they're, they're not trying anything new. They work around what they or the organization at least already knows. And that's not really what we're trying to achieve with transformational innovation with brand new business models. So we could say there's something going on. Do you want to elaborate on yeah. that? And then maybe say, do you measure that? Like, do you look into yeah. that? Yeah, no, I, I think that's a great point. And I, I would just kind of want to make it clear as, as best as possible uh, to our dear listeners that when we say the experiment fails, like what Ilya is talking about in this case is validating or invalidating the hypothesis, right? So the hypothesis may be incorrect, but the experiment has still succeeded by proving something incorrect. And so, so yeah, we're talking about we want as we want we don't want to see a hundred percent of hypotheses that are true. That certainly means that you're not testing anything super exciting. Right. So if you're you're testing the difference between a product image, let's say a pair of shoes on your website versus a smiling person holding up those pair of shoes, uh, that is a pretty boring experiment, right? Because there's plenty of data out there that says uh, pictures of products with smiling people are going to sell more, uh, unless you're trying to sell funeral services or something like that, in which case you probably should not have smiling people yeah, in your uh, contextual. Remember but that? hey, you never know. <laughs> um, but but the point being that I think you're absolutely right. You don't want to see all of your hypotheses succeed. I have never specifically measured that at scale. Uh, mm -hmm. It is something I will look at when talking with a team, uh, particularly when, I mean, typically, again, when I'm engaged with teams or when I'm sitting on a growth board, I'm seeing their hypotheses before they run the experiment. Right? So... Uh, if the right. team, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll let a team throw an easy pass, so to speak. Uh, maybe the team's feeling down and they just want to get an experiment that, that looks like success. They want to run an experiment on a right. hypothesis. Okay. It seems nice. pretty easy, right? There, there's yeah. a decent reason to like give yeah. the team a pass at, at, at just testing something that they know is probably going to be true. But if they're doing that over and over again, if I see that, you know, this team is asking for $100,000 and they want to test three things that are super obvious, like people like cereal uh, or people love ice cream, you know, that, that's not worth testing. And it's certainly not worth $100,000. I want to know that there is a kind of return on my investment and the return I'm looking for is, is insights. And if your insight is that people like ice cream, that is not super impressive. And now I'm, I'm again, I'm not going to count the story point value of that insight, but I might count that as zero. <laughs> that's, that's yeah. not an insight. Yeah. Not an I mean, insight if you already such, knew it. This is, is potentially this very exciting. I mean, I find it a very exciting topic, you know, and, like on one hand, the concept of failure is nearly abused now, I think. Oh, we just failed, you know, and it was just, yeah, but you shouldn't have, like in a sense that you should have never tried that, right? You should have never run that 
test. You should have never that hypothesis should have never been tested. And you mean for a hypothesis that is just obviously false? obviously false or it's obviously clear or it's not the most risky one right like this is just not the type of thing you should have learned and it's just like you know no we failed so i don't want to go too deep i think there's its own podcast right too deep into that yeah yeah Yeah. right but so the whole concept of, of failure but on the other hand and and it prevents us to really look at failure in the most positive you know really in the most positive sense and i i thought when i when you start contemplating the idea of you need to fail at least X percent of your experiments, now people will hack that again. I'm pretty sure people will hack that. But, you know, it gives that freedom to really do something silly or so, you know, to really go out there and try something really new and really disruptive and and actually, you know, truly fail in a sense um, with all the best intentions behind it. Um yeah, I, I mean, I think you're you're kind of digging into a, a few things in there that I I, I think are probably worth <laughs> they're again worth a lot of more academic research than than we can uh, afford with our time. Um, but the one thing you said there was was people might gain these metrics if you measure them uh, on them, and I think that is absolutely true. Um, it's one of the things uh, we, we sometimes say in my, my team when we're talking about. Um, teams that we coach is uh, measure, but don't count. Um, I mean, that is sort of a double entendre there. Like literally don't count the number of experiments, just one or more is great, but also like, don't, uh, you know, don't count as a KPI for the team. Um, I don't like the team staring at the dashboard, uh, so to speak, or looking at a leaderboard and, and saying, oh, we only ran three experiments and they ran seven experiments. Uh, I think that can engage in the sort of behavior that you're describing, which is another reason for me why to just count like one or more insights or one or more experiments, because it's not a race to run the largest number of really low value experiments. It's, it's ultimately you want to make progress on the product, right? So experimentation velocity and insight velocity, and even retrospective velocity, these are all things that measure behaviors that the team is in mm. control of that we mm. think will be a leading indicator of project success. Right? Mm. But ultimately, uh, especially for an innovation team, mm. the innovation team is going to need to generate a product dashboard or a project dashboard, I should say, in case it's a service. And they're going to have to figure out what their own leading indicators of success in that product or service are whether that's the acquisition rate or, you know, the, the cost to acquire a customer mm-hmm. or the uh, conversion rate on the homepage or the retention rate, there are going to be a lot of different numbers that they're going to have to figure out and figure out which is their greatest lever for success, depending on the project. For some projects like SaaS products, uh, retention is a very, very important metric for those uh, products. For a media company, it's going to be uh, virality. Um Social media companies also uh, viral coefficient is probably the most important measure of uh, a leading indicator of project success. But those teams are going to have to figure out their project success based on the actual project that they're working on. Uh, Right. So these measures that we've been discussing are pretty generic. They're generic measures of behavior. Uh, But ultimately, um, 
ultimately uh, the, the team is going to have to generate their own dashboard and that should supplant these behavioral uh, metrics uh, at, at some okay. level. Okay. Right. So for that, we probably need to talk more about how we measure product. Yeah, uh, absolutely. In, in another session and tie it back to this. And I think this, um, yeah, so we probably have to stop there as much. It would be just organically flowing into that at this point. Sure. But maybe let's uh, let's recap. So we have experimentation velocity. We have got inside velocity. Mm -hmm. We have retrospectives or retrospective velocity. I guess you could call it retrospective velocity. It sounds kind of funny, but it's, <laughs> it sounds really <laughs> funny. Yeah, velocity is not even the right word, but I think it's just like yes, doing retrospectives. <laughs> Yeah. And it's, it's at scale, you would measure the percentage of teams that are running retrospectives or the percentage of teams that are running one or more experiment per week. But when you're looking at an individual team, it's just, uh, it's just kind of a binary state. It's, you could look at the percentage of weeks where the team ran uh, one or more experiments. I like to look at a four week cadence, uh, you know, uh, Uh, four-week rolling rolling uh, cadence, last 30 days, uh, yeah. what percentage of weeks was, were the team able to generate one experiment, one insight, uh, run retrospectives? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That's the way you measure it on a team basis. Yeah. Okay, fantastic. So that would be three um, when, we look at the, when we look at it. And what are some other ones maybe to... I'll try not to get into them too deeply. I think it's... I think we're hitting an hour soon, but yeah. I, I mean, I think the other obvious thing that everybody should be measuring is the qualitative data here, right? Like, don't just rely on these numbers. These numbers are potentially good traffic lights to tell you if something is going very wrong. Mm -hmm. um, but you, a good sprint demo every week uh, for all your teams, where teams are demonstrating what they've done in the past week and what they've learned and a quick five minute presentation is going to be extremely valuable to you. Uh, you will generate more insights by, by watching the qualitative presentations than you will just staring at the dashboard. Like those dashboards are, are good to be aware of. As a coach, if I'm working with one team, uh, I kind of keep those metrics in my mind and I am kind of measuring them as I go. Uh, at scale, they're very useful when I can't attend a sprint demo in Uh, you know, Melbourne yeah. and New York City. If I can't mm. do that, well, mm. uh, those metrics are very good for high-level, large-scale programs. Uh, but most people aren't really dealing with that. So um, mm. look at the qualitative data. Great. I think that's it. Yeah. Well, thank you, Tristan. I think we wrap up the the topic here. And Sure. Uh, That's it. Cool.